0: Welcome to Good Business, a weekly podcast to help you create a business that is good for people, planet, and the profit line. I'm Chris Edwards. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I created my first business, Honeycombers, when I was at the tender age of 28. And that business is a lifestyle guide to Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali, and now employs over 30 people across four countries. Last year, I founded a new business called Launchpad, which is a community movement designed to support entrepreneurs who aspire to create conscious companies. Launchpad has members across six countries and runs around about 30 events every month. We run masterclasses, coaching and connection calls, as well as peer group sessions. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial ride and understand how successful and clever innovators and business leaders bring people, planet and profit line together to build better businesses. What does it really take to create a heart-led business? Join me and together we're going to find out. Before I get into it, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm recording this podcast on, Bundjalung Country. I pay my respects to the elders past and present, and I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. Okay, let's get into it. Have you ever wondered how you could have a career studying dinosaurs, tracking safari animals, and also tracking trees or tree growth? Well, Andrew Kerr, my next guest, has done exactly that. This is a fascinating chat with a guy who's lived a big life across South Africa, Sweden, and Singapore. And he is the co founder of Green Steps Group. And I just love this chat so much. Green Steps Group is an environmental company that plants trees and also does ocean cleanups. But their core point of difference is their technology and their tracking and their governance of what they're doing. I think you'll get so much out of this chat. And what I loved most was how Andrew could have such a passion for tech and big dreams and be creating such wonderful, massive businesses from ground up. But the one thing that he really lives by is family first and knowing the why. So I'm sure you're going to really enjoy this chat. Let's jump into it. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I know you're getting up. Oh, actually, you're. it's very late where you are. So I appreciate you making the time.
1: Cool. Thanks very much. I'm dialing in from Sweden. It says minus two degrees in the bottom of my screen. So just outside is covered in snow. So far from Australia.
0: And let's start with Green Steps Group. Why don't you
1: tell us a little bit about it? Sure, and and maybe it's just sort of why I'm sitting in Sweden, despite the fact we have a a Singapore based company. So it was actually incorporated in Singapore and my partner, Guy, is permanently living in Singapore. I was living in Singapore, but then I moved back to Sweden with my wife and family. So now we have this sort of like foot on both sides of the camps, which um, is actually quite quite a nice place to be where we have good exposure to Europe and to sort of Southeast Asia, partner on both sides. In terms of Steps Group, what we are is we're a tree-founding company which brings governance. That's probably the easiest word for what, what we're trying to do. We set about trying to make a system where clients didn't require blind trust if they sponsored a tree. So it's not a case of you sponsored a tree and just believe us that it happened. We wanted to find very granular, very like clear evidence that the tree actually did happen. This idea of if you sponsor a tree on the other side of the world, does it actually exist? And that's really the question where we began. Is like, how do we prove to people that it does exist, that it's real? That was the first part of it, is just governance of the fact that your impact is real. The second part is just making it simple to actually take this uh, impact down the chain. So if you sit at Raffles Hotel today and you enjoy a cocktail, down the chain, a tree is planted in Sumatra. And this is a very sort of direct cause and effect. And that's really the program that we put in place.
0: I'm really intrigued by the fact that you've come up with a business that's tree planting, but verification is your really big point of difference. Did this idea come about because there are so many tree planting companies that are not doing the right thing?
1: Um, I think they... Whether or not they're doing the right thing or not is hard to say, not for me to judge. But it's definitely a problem where there's this kind of nebulous, o- opaque uh, world where there's very little evidence of when you sponsor a tree that the tree actually happens. So this is something we feel really should be adjust- addressed. It's, it's like if you pay a software company for something or if you pay for online advertising or even if you go to a laundromat and they can't provide you any evidence whatsoever what you've just paid for then we really feel you should ask some questions like, where is this money actually going? You know, what What kind of laundromat are they? So it's just bringing this kind of clarity to the world and getting away from the opaqueness. And I think the opaqueness is actually fundamentally dangerous. as it's And now the, at this time, we start to hit a lot of greenwashing and companies are getting nervous about the trees that they've sponsored, but perhaps didn't actually sponsor. And then the knee-jerk reaction is sometimes just to pull out completely and just take all all sponsorship out. We've had a sort of huge crisis at the moment with the Vera credit schemes uh, where a lot of companies re- reaction is to rather than sort of find a better solution or work with the uh, work with Vera to like help solve the problem, they just pull out completely. So I think it's it's super important to have this kind of clarity and granularity of governance.
0: And Andrew, one thing I've always been interested about. I mean, I live on a quite a big, well, not a big farm, but a farm, and we plant trees and they're quite hard to actually grow. So it's not just planting the tree, but then watering it and then checking on it and then making sure it's, you know, got good drainage and good nutrients. So is that something else that Green Steps does?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I'm completely with you. I, I get annoyed of people that fly drones across deserts, throwing seeds all over the place and <laughs> planting billions and millions of trees because it is, it's is—it's absolutely difficult. Um, most of our trees are actually reared in nurseries for normally up to six months. So by the time they actually get planted, it's a seedling, not uh, not a seed, um, it's a small sapling normally about a sort of a foot higher so after that there still needs work Uh, we sort of do two different kinds of trees we do the mangroves which is a lot easier they're a lot more robust basically once mangroves go into the ground they're sort of a foot high already they're sitting in water so they never run out of water animals tend not to eat them no one's cutting them down it's they just have very high survival rates and don't need as much care in Borneo it's another story completely you have to start off by clear cutting the ground to prepare it. There's a lot of vines, it's a sort of, um, they're natural, but where the forest is damaged, these vines grow incredibly fast and quite high, like sometimes two, three meters tall. So we have to clear cut these vines. Then we plant the seeds which are reared in nurseries. And then you have to come back six months later and clear the vines away again. And then another six months after that again. And then you still sometimes have an elephant wandering through and wipe out half the trees. The plus side is that even if you lose some of these trees that you've sort of nurtured and grown, if you're preparing all this area and looking after the whole plot, you get a lot of natural growth. So at the end of the day, you t- actually tend to end up with more trees than you start off with, even if you lose a few along the way. But it does need a lot of care. Um, they don't just grow themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. And I mean, I first discovered you guys because you're working a lot with F&B partners in Singapore. So you mentioned Raffles Hotel, I know the Loco Group and Tanjong Beach Club are working with you, Little Farms. I'm really interested if you can explain why these F&B partners or why you've targeted these F&B partners and how that relationship works.
1: There's a little happenings, actually. One of our early investors is actually Loco Group. It really began with with Christian trying to address his own problems with his restaurant. So the first thing he did was to buy some carbon credits, and he got a sort of a a strip back from somewhere in the Congo. And he said, this is really quite meaningless to me. I don't even know if it's real, and I can't use this for any kind of marketing. And that's around about the time that we bumped into him and told him what we're doing. He got really excited. We were able to have this kind of very clear marketing story. If you plant a tree, we have a tree and we can show it to you. If there's a client restaurant who sponsors a tree, they can see their tree immediately on their phone. Each restaurant grows a forest. And again, it's very clear and visible. So it was really starting there. And there's there's no reason to be stuck in F&B. It just naturally expanded from there. It's the network and there's something nice. As a startup, uh, we need sort of short cycle times. We're having long conversations with bigger companies, but those conversations can take up to a year. And as a young startup, you normally the payment cycle to move quite quickly. So F&B is great. You normally get to speak directly to the owners of the businesses. They're often very passionate about uh, what they're trying to do and they sort of implement strategies very quickly. So it was just a, a nice a nice starting plan. At the moment, we are actually moving on to sort of longer term. We've got some uh, banks and fashion houses we are starting to work with. But F&B has definitely been our core and something which we've been growing with.
0: And so the way it works for f and B, I I presume, I mean, I read about initially, and I'm not sure whether you're still doing this, how you're suggesting that they take away... Plastic bottles and replace them with glass bottles, and use the money they've saved there to invest in trees. Is that still your program?
1: Oh, absolutely. That's going great guns, and it's it's such a nice win-win for everybody. It's a great win just for the restaurant just to get rid of their plastic bottles, just as a starting point, and then br- bring in glass bottles. Uh, plastic bottles may or may not be recycled, but you still have to bring you know you still have to buy them, uh, sell them, and then dispose them as opposed to actually doing water on site. The price per water goes right down and then clients need some kind of justification of why are you still paying a dollar or two for a bottle of water? And that's really where the trees come in. It was like, okay, you still have to pay a dollar, but this money is going straight into a forest, which you're, which you're busy growing. And it's almost gone the circle where people deliberately go to the restaurants like the Provador chain is doing a lot of this uh, water, water selling, where they actually specifically go to the Provador because they know about the sustainability programs
0: That's really cool and what a really innovative way to help small businesses find that dollar per customer that can have real meaning to the customers and real meaning to the environment in both ways, right? Reducing plastic, reducing the waste of of transport and energy and all of that around plastic bottles with water, plus then also getting them to plant trees. That's, yeah, it's really cool. How did you come up with that idea?
1: It's a total win, because uh, on top of all of that, the restaurants are actually making more money than they previously were. So it really is sort of a win-win-win. It came about just simply in a conversation with uh, Guy, my partner, um, and the owner of Promo was just asking Guy, what can I do better? How can I improve my restaurants as a sustainable environment? And Guy said, well, the first thing you can do is get rid of these plastic bottles. And that's sort of where it evolved from.
0: So tell me about Guy, you you started Green Steps with Guy, how did you guys meet and how did the idea come about?
1: Um, I, I knew Guy for quite a few years before Green Steps, so I've known him for some time, but where Green Steps came about is I was working with an NGO and we had this idea of paying farmers directly, so ensuring the people that actually put the trees in the ground get the money. This is a pay per planting concept. The problem with NGOs, they just don't have the revenue to keep paying the planters. they're always continually struggling with funding. It's just part of being a nonprofit. And that was just a constant challenge. So in trying to resolve the challenge, it's like, what can we do if we can link the planting operations to the consumers and through the restaurants and actually get a, a direct chain of money, which is flowing back down down the chain to the planters? It was at this point that I reached out to Guy and he was already uh, deep into the sustainability world and working with a lot of these bigger companies. So he was just a natural person to speak to. I actually, I actually reached out to a few others within the company, but it was really Guy and myself that ended up breaking away to form Green Steps.
0: And how long ago was that?
1: Um. I think the conversations began about three years ago uh, when we first got going and sort of working out concepts and stuff. Uh, corona slowed things down dramatically because suddenly <laughs> when you have a business which is fundamentally based on uh, restaurants and hotels and then everything shuts and everybody gets locked in, the, in their houses it becomes a problem. And actually even our some of our planting teams couldn't go out and put trees in the ground anymore. At the same time, we did have some... Revenue still running with some of the restaurants. And it became actually a, a critical lifeline for particularly in Borneo. Uh, we were busy planting trees in Borneo and they had half their revenue coming in from tourism. And then we started bringing in this idea of like, well, we could also sponsor your trees. So we just kicked that off when Corona struck and their tourism obviously just came to an abrupt and very sudden end. And the, their only lifeline actually after a while was just us sponsoring their trees. There's kind of negatives with the corona, of course, but there's there's definitely like some positives that came out of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Such an intense time for so many. Now your background is really in tech and VR, and I'm interested how has that played a part of what you're doing at Green Steps?
1: Um, it's in tech and VR recently, but it hasn't really always been that way. My first job was actually as a Safari guide in South Africa's large Bark. I've tended to swing between nature and tech most of my working life. Uh, at one stage, I was, uh, I was big into dinosaurs doing 3D uh, reconstructions for the world's leading paleontologists. I did hundreds and hundreds of dinosaurs. It's a really fun legacy. I can sort of walk into any museum and open the dinosaur books and see all of my dinosaurs.
0: Wow. Do you have kids? Because, I mean, that would be just an amazing skill as a dad.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, I do. And they love dinosaurs.
0: (laughs) But they ace all their dinosaur tests, right, at school.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Okay, so Safari and then Dinosaur Expert. Then (laughs) where did this journey go next?
1: Tech is pretty interesting because you can really just take it anywhere. So from dinosaurs, I moved into apps, uh, developed, a well, first of all, I made a dinosaur app, literally, and then from there I made an app called My Safari, which was a—it's combining the idea of tourism and uh, sensor, census, animal census. So the concept was: can we harness the tourists that go on safaris? This is really going back to my time as a guide. Uh, can we harness all the tourists that go on safari and use them to do the animal census? So the idea is they go drive around as they see animals, they have a fun game. I've seen this, I've seen an elephant, I've seen a rhino, and as they check them off, we get a sort of a net data and then we sort of monitor the the overall populations. It's a great idea. It worked quite well. The down <laughs> the major flaw is that we find tourists are really bad at identifying animals. So <laughs> <laughs> Elephants, hippos—it's great. If you start having going into antelope or like even some of the cats, like leopards and leopards and cheetahs and lions—they
0: just get them mixed up.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but they were taking photographs as well, so we could sort of like, yeah, right. It's, um, but from that project, and then that was that was a great project. I really enjoyed it, and it evolved into something which is uh, called Everybody Counts. So there's a, comp- a competition with a mapping company where they just op- opened up to in- all and in any ideas. So I took on an environmental approach and we used the basis of that GM- GIS project for tracking African wild dogs. Then it became specifically for researchers to actually track the African wild dogs. And that brings in a whole lot of challenges. African wild dogs are, they're basically like wolves. Uh, they're con- continually on the move. They can actually run for 40 at 45 kilometers an hour for an hour. So just in the space of an hour, they cover a marathon and they're just continually like moving on, around the park. So we got uh, lead lead dogs were tagged with uh, colors and then tracked on a uh, satellite and they tend to stay with the pack. And then we could sort of monitor where all the different packs are moving around and then over time gather sensor data and work out what's happening with the packs. They're they're in trouble. They're Africa's most endangered species. So just a little bit of trying to work out what is actually happening and why are the populations crashing? So that was a fantastic project. Um, honestly moving from tracking African wild dogs to tracking trees it's really much easier
0: <laughs> this was a great training ground for, to make you feel like you've got the easiest job in the world what's happened with everybody count now is it still being used
1: yeah it's yeah but as a research project um, it's the the my safari for the tourism it's turned more into like a, a field guide and People can enjoy it, but we didn't find enough value to actually censor. But Everybody Counts is used uh, by the guys doing research on African wild dogs.
0: Wow. And so how did you end up in Singapore from, was it South Africa you were based?
1: Oh, lots of places. I lived in the UK as well. And then I met a Swedish girl in Cape Town and we traveled the world together. Landed up in Sweden uh, when we started having babies and after two or three years of Swedish winter, I couldn't take it anymore. So that's <laughs> that's the short story. She's an, my wife's an architect, so we looked for where can she do architecture where it's warm and tropical, and Singapore was just a natural place to land up. And it's it's a great city. We thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: It is a great city, isn't it? It's quite remarkable. I was there last week, actually, and I lived there for eleven years and I just go back and I just, I'm like, it's got so much going for it. It's so interesting. And the biggest thing I find most interesting is where it's located. Like it's just in the center of Southeast Asia and it's such a great jump off point for people, but also for businesses to have, I suppose, a reach into that region.
1: Yeah, in Singapore, they're very forward thinking and very quick to pick up ideas. It almost feels like they've almost got a, an, an inferiority complex where they worry that Europe is ahead of them when we're, often we're really, we're really not, but they're sort of continually charging ahead. So one of the nice things about working in Singapore, a lot of our clients are there, is they tend to make decisions very quickly and love anything new. So it's a, it's a really great place to sort of launch businesses.
0: And love anything tech too which I think is really interesting for what you're doing, because I definitely think Singapore adopts technology really quickly and they just, everyone loves it. So I can see why Green Steps has done well in that little micro climate. This podcast is brought to you by Launchpad, a community movement for conscious entrepreneurs. If you're seeking a sounding board, advice, masterclasses, or maybe just looking for a network of people that are in your corner to support you, come to the launchpad.group website and check it out. We'd love to meet you. So going back to Green Steps, it's quite an, uh, an interesting business and concept because I suppose there are a lot of tree planting companies out there now and your point of difference is... Really, I suppose it's your technology that tracks the trees, and you're also tracking ocean cleanup as well. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: So how do those two things work together?
1: It's really like as close as the African wild dogs. Once you've got a platform which is able to capture data and then translate it from on the ground onto a dashboard where you can monitor on a map, you can really capture anything. So moving from trees to ocean waste cleanup was actually remarkably quick and easy. The main thing that we we're providing is governance. So it's just, does something happen? Uh, with the trees, we track each each individual tree. With the ocean waste collection, we're monitoring it by the kilogram. And then it's, it all sort of gets compiled into a, a Database uh, database map. This this has two things. One is just uh, for visibility. But if you if you're sponsoring a tree and it's public, you can also see that nobody else is sponsoring that tree, which also avoids one of the common problems with sponsoring trees: is that this this idea of double counting. You know, they have a tree which is sponsored, which may or may not even exist, and then they sell it three, four, almost unlimited amounts of time. Because no one's actually counting which tree is which, so that was one of the big things that we we're trying to address: is how do we stop this double counting problem? How do we make sure that the trees are actually real? That if you do sponsor a tree, it's it's there. But there's a there's a side part to the story where, if you know how many trees you have. And with our app, we actually know not only what the, about the trees, we also know about the people, because that's equally important. So we know who's planting the trees. We know where the tree is, what species it is, when it was planted, where it was planted. And with this information, we also start knowing how many hours of female employment have we generated. And not more or less, we know ex- exactly how many generated. What is the gender breakdown between our workers? How much community hours are we creating? What? Uh, landscape impact we're making. So we get these very specific granular detail uh, which can then also link back to the UN sustainability development goals. So for some of our big clients they have these like, specific numbers that they need to target within the sustainability development goals and we can provide them very granular numbers and then also back up evidence of where these numbers came from.
0: And how do you ensure that there's no double counting in your system? Like, What's the tech behind it that ensures it?
1: So there's, it's half tech, half human monitoring. So when you take a photograph of a tree, it's surprisingly unique. And one of the questions people ask is, can't you just get trees off the internet? It's like, go go ahead and try. Try find a thousand trees, which all look unique. So the trees are captured, they go into our system, and then there's just a spreadsheet. So we have got some low-level AI running, which can detect just double photographs. So if it's just the same photograph, it's pretty easy to just catch those numbers. Then the rest is actually done with, it's called a mechanical Turk, which means a human, often myself or a guy or some of my other colleagues. who actually just go through, uh, looking at all the trees in a batch and looking for ident- identifying if there is if there is any double trees. It's actually quite easy. Trees are all very unique and you can spot them very quickly. Another secret we also use is just, you can look at the mud where the tree's planted, which is actually even easier way of, of checking if, it's, uh, if the same tree's been captured twice. So it's a, it's a combination of um, quality control, human-based quality control, and uh, AI tech.
0: Yeah, right, right. So interesting. You say like profit and sustainability, you don't have to choose between reforestation and protection. So I'd love you to just talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so companies need to be sustainable. And when I say sustainable, I'm talking about the, the real meaning of the word as in financially viable. They need to be sustainable and it's a responsibility to themselves to, to be responsible, so, to be sustainable. So when they bring in sustainability uh, initiatives, we really feel they need to make sense. Uh, if the, If they're not actually making a direct financial benefit to the company they're going to be the first thing to cut in a recession, and there's a recession looming. So it's very important that this thing brings, these sustainability initiatives actually bring in money, not just our sort of nice-to-haves, which as soon as you have to choose between, are we going to like retain the services of a young chef or are we going to like dial back on some of our nice sustainable ideas? We know that we're going to have to cut back on the sustainable ideas. So if you're planting a forest, it should actually make you money. And a good example of this is the water project. Uh, the water project actually switching to a forest. And the forest is important. You can't take that away outside of the water project because you need some kind of justification that you're going to actually sell a glass of water for a dollar or two. So all consumers will not accept it. So there's sort of two sides to this sustainability. The one is just clever things to do, which actually do just being direct money. So if you take a hotel, for example, Use towels. Towels, you can. You all know this, they've, it's a well-accepted thing. You throw the towel on the ground if you want it to be washed or just hang it up if you want to save water. Immediately, that's actually just saving the hotel money by just encouraging people to hang the towels up. It's sustainability bringing in profit. Another idea is with soap. Recently, I was at a quite a nice hotel where instead of having little mini one-time use soaps, they had a really nice high-quality shower gel in a big bottle and they simply said, if you like it, take it home and we'll just bill it to your room, getting rid of the little expensive one-time uses. So that just brings in money. And you can do things like showers. So that's that's the easy stuff. And that's sustainability that's bringing in direct money. The less obvious stuff, but equally important is if you do, for example, planting a tree for every guest at the hotel, this is something that customers like. And then you can say, okay, so what is the value of making a customer happier and bringing in a repeat customer. And what and what is that level of repeat customers? So if we say, okay, well, this initiative is bringing in more customers and we have an increase in 10% repeat, repeat customers. What is that value? The hotels will be able to tell you, and um, look directly at the accounts. And it's typically much more than it's actually getting spent. The other side is staff turnover. If people are happy, and this is particularly relating to Gen Z, where it's becoming very important for them. To be at a company where they have this and uh, these kind of initiatives, where they are actually helping the helping the planet. If you manage to like keep good stuff or retain good stuff, what is the d- dollar value in that? And it can be calculated. It's expensive to hire new people. It's expensive to train them, um, and it's expensive to have un- unhappy people. So, it's actually the idea of it's not a, a weird idea to have sustainable and profit. It's actually essential. And I think we've proved in quite a few different environments now that it actually is possible. You can bring in even additional additionality where you're actually having to put money out on a forest and still raise your like, bottom line revenues.
0: I really like that. And I like that a lot, particularly from where you're sitting, that if people can't see how these initiatives are bringing in more profit, it will get cut. You're absolutely right. So you do have to think more creatively and make sure that when you're bringing in a program, it's the double bottom line, right? It's profit and sustainability going hand in hand. So, I think that's really smart. Have you got any more case studies of people in Singapore that are doing this really well?
1: Quite a few customers, actually. So, the Water Project is going across to quite a lot of restaurants and bars already. Uh, We've also done it with beer. We've done it with pizzas, um, done it with cocktails. There's a uh, Hotel, Toyota Hotel, it's a bar called Penicillin in Hong Kong. So, what they did is they took a, a signature cocktail and said, right, this is our sustainability cocktail. And all the revenue of this cocktail goes off to reforestation. So, they lose a little money on that signature cocktail. But as we all know, the market in cocktails is enormous. But you don't sit drinking that cocktail all night. So, you quickly switch to their other uh, wines and beers. So, again, like they actually. Bring in customers that the customers like this idea, it's the ethos, and stay for longer.
0: Nice. And tell me, where to now for Green Steps? What's in the future for the next five, 10 years?
1: Oh, going a little further, uh, we've been doing a lot of research into remote sensing. I think this is going to be something which is going you know, to become increasingly important. So, this is both satellites and drones. And then, even with drones, it's both fixed wing and quad, quad drones. And this is really, how do we take this idea and really start scaling it? Some of the details, I can't really share too much right now, but that's that's definitely where we're heading is drone and remote sensing where we can really start operating it at large scales. How do we tackle an entire jungle region as opposed to uh, smaller operations?
0: I love it. I can imagine lots of Young boys who are into tech would be very inspired by this chat. You know, I have an 11-year-old son who has a drone and like just loves everything technology. And it's so nice to see how you can fuse your passion for tech into really having real impact. So it's it's very inspiring. I just want to ask a few. We have some rapid-fire questions to round out the interview. I'm wondering, do you have any business advice or mantras that you live by?
1: I'd say family first. It's super easy to get caught up, especially if you've got a small startup. There's basically every day, there's more work to do than there is in the day. And you have to keep looking after your family. There's the moment where you've got something important to do and all this happened to me just recently. And I got a text from my youngest daughter saying, Papa, I need you to come help me with my maths. It's like, okay, it's, it can wait. It's not really going to crash. <laughs> we'll pick it up in the morning. So I think that's... Super important. And then a kind of leading part of that is, don't forget why you're doing what you're doing. It's easy to kind of get lost in the moments and in the in the problems, but especially with our kind of environment, we're not really here to maximize profits. If that's all I wanted to do, I'd probably stick with VR to be honest. Why, why are we actually doing what we want to do? There's There's a bigger value. And I think it's important to hang on to that.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that's very true. And it is very easy to get lost in the weeds of the doing and the enormity of the tasks and the, the adrenaline and the thrill of it all. But really to come back to your why is is very, very powerful.
1: We actually have one of our uh, ladies just joined us recently, Michelle, and she writes in on her check-in every morning Today I've planted this many trees, like, why am I here? Like, <laughs> Grateful to be making the world a difference. Uh, this is like wonderful little phrases, like every single morning. It's, it's really nice to see.
0: Oh, that's very cool. I uh, really like that. Tell me, if there was another industry that you could disrupt next, what would it be?
1: Well, I think that's such a good question. One of the things which is happening is, what do we do with all the waste? So... You know, we're in the business at the moment of doing ocean cleanups, but, and then there's, uh, there's sort of recycling, but how can we address this question better? What can we do to take ocean waste in particular, but actually any kind of waste, catch it earlier and do better work with it? I think that's going to be one of the interesting uh, interesting parts. And yeah, you know, plastic is, it's quite it's quite durable and quite, you know, I actually studied product design originally. So that was that. Plastics was was a sort of a major within what I studied, and some of the materials, like car tires, they're incredibly strong. So anything which is strong and very durable is useful. So if we could turn this around from being a waste problem to a cost benefit problem, a cost benefit solution, I think that's uh, there's something in there. How we do it, I'm not. That's that's a good question. You can sit and brainstorm all night, but the. The concept is, is laid out there. We have a, a building material which is actually free and just on tap. So if you can pick that up and make use of it, I think that's a, a really interesting industry to dig into.
0: I couldn't agree more. And in fact, I just had the CEO of Potato Head on the podcast and they're moving to really focusing on using waste to make things. That They told me that... Uh, a tourist creates four kilos of waste, three kilos of waste every day, which is just a huge amount of waste, right? So it is really fascinating.
1: For the lowest hanging fruit, I'd love to sort out airlines. Just, And I'm not talking about the fuel, by the way. When you sit on a plane and the amount of trash you generate on a long distance flight, it's embarrassing.
0: Yeah, I know. I totally agree. I I just was thinking that the other day, how much single use?
1: I just flew back from South Africa, so in the middle of the night I was chatting to one of the SGNSs and throwing this idea: like, do you think it would work to have buffets instead of <laughs> instead of walking along getting your little like your tray of food? Just because you've got hours and hours to kill, so even if it takes a long time to filter like a whole airplane full of people down to the end to like select their own food, I don't know. It's it could work.
0: Or just reusable, washable, cutlery. You know, I, I noticed that's one thing in Australia. A lot of the coffee shops now will have, you know, just a mug instead of disposable single use and they'll wash it up for you and then you just bring it back. I mean, it's it's like going back to what we used to do. <laughs> Tell me, what's been your best business collaboration or partnership you've had?
1: Yeah. Um- to be honest, I think it would, it would have to be the, my friend, John Landon, and this is actually all the, the VR work. I've, I've had a lot of good people I've worked with, but he just constantly comes back to me with really fun projects. We've, we've built UK network rails together, we've built Formula One races, floating chocolates, VR and Nike shoes, Manchester football games. He's, he's just a fun guy too. Every time he pings, he's like, okay, here's something here's something interesting. Just a lovely human. So. Really fun to work with that guy.
0: Wow. And so he just pings you and asks for help on VR projects. Is that right?
1: We've actually been working together for years. I I originally hired him about 10 years ago. I just hired him as a programmer. And then we sort of became like really close friends. And then just have an on and off sort of project relationship ever since. So it's a mix of who's hiring who these days. Um, I would like to add one more thing to that, que- that question, which because I thought it was a risky question. Best collaboration for the future. I have a strong suspicion it might well be my eldest daughter. I could easily see us working together. Already, she's only sixteen, but already like just working on projects together. It's, it works really well as a business relationship. She'll be she'll be the organized one, by the way.
0: Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Now, I wanted to ask, what is your favorite business book or business podcast?
1: So I've I've been listening to, it's a book, but I've I've been listening to it uh, called Selling Value by Mark Straving. And... I started off. It was just recommended to me as, one, as a really excellent book of just understanding value. So I began listening to it, um, really with an idea of how would I how would I explain the value of what we do? Because it's not particularly easy to sort of sell something that you can't actually physically have, and explaining what is the value of Green Steps. But it, it quickly sort of started turning around to not just selling value, but to what is my value. Um, as a person what what am I actually trying to get out of my work and what does what is green steps ready for me I think it's a fantastic book it's not it's not fluffy at all it's very business driven it's specifically b2b uh, and really turning things around into a dollar value but it really helps when you start ex- trying to explain to people what is the value of a tree and that example of a hotels if you're Reducing the turnover of staff, that is a very specific dollar value, even if it's linked to something which is a bit more fluffy as in terms of we're helping the environment. If people want to stay there, it saves the, the company money. So I think I'd highly recommend it for anyone, Actually, even if you're just a consumer, I think it's worth reading.
0: Oh, it sounds fantastic. I will definitely be putting that on my reading list. My last question for you today is at Launchpad, we believe a rising tide floats all boats. You probably have a ton of entrepreneurs that are creating good businesses, but if you could recommend one to come on this podcast, who would it be?
1: Um, I think I'd probably throw out by my former 3D partner in crime, Neil Rowe. So I sort of began, began this journey as a product designer and then got into the 3D, hence the dinosaurs, and then later more and more tech solutions and then GIS. But Neil and I used to work together. After a while, he quit his job, stopped working with me. He went off to Taiwan and started a wooden surfboard company. So these days, he makes wooden surfboards. He teaches conversational English and has a fantastic... Like He's probably my hero in terms of lifestyle. He really lives every single day in a in a wonderful world, while we're sweating it out, burning late hours. Neil wakes up and goes surfing every morning.
0: Where's Neil based?
1: He's in Taiwan.
0: Ah, okay. He
1: went he went there and just got stuck, and has now been there for about fifteen years.
0: Not a bad place to get stuck, Taiwan.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's it's an absolute unknown gem. Uh, I've taken some of my American friends there, and they they look around and say this. This looks like Hawaii, and no one even knows about this country. It's an island of surfing waves where there's no one surfing at all.
0: (laughs) Surfers' paradise, really. Andrew, thank you so much. This has been an absolute delight. You are a very interesting and inspiring character. I've learned a lot more about so much from this chat, so I really want to just say thank you.
1: Cool, thank you and have a a good rest of the day and I'll go jump to bed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, thanks for staying up for me.
1: Fantastic. All right. Cheers.
0: Three things I got out of this chat with Andrew today is one, how important it is to be really clear about your why and why are you doing this business? And I thought that was really wonderful that Andrew's mantra is family first and such a beautiful thing to keep coming back to. Another thing I really loved was how diverse his career and I suppose trajectory has been from studying dinosaurs to counting safari animals with tourists and really just honed this skill of traceability and now he's using this for environmental Reasons, And the third thing I loved about this chat was his focus on how sustainability needs to make you more money so that you don't just discount your sustainability practices when a recession hits or when you're having a bad month or a bad year. So you need to come up with a sustainable approach that's not just great for the environment but also delivers you more profit. And he gave some really great examples of how to do that. Fascinating chat with a fascinating guy. I hope you found this chat as inspiring as I did to create your own good business. Thank you for listening to Good Business. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Selfishly, I created this podcast for my own personal growth so I could go deep with entrepreneurs that truly inspire me. Of course, I also wanted a wider listenership to think about having impact and our wonderful community at Launchpad where we're all aspiring to create better businesses together. If you have enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to leave a review or perhaps share this podcast episode with a friend. That's how podcast episodes get discovered. And I would love more entrepreneurs to think more deeply about their business and about creating a heart-led business with a bigger impact than just profit. And I'm sure you would too. So go ahead and post something on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook and spread the word. I will be forever grateful. Thanks again for listening. And I hope that you feel as inspired as I am to create your own good business.